0: Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement.
1: And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life.
0: Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes.
1: We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Excited you're here. Peter, how's it going?
0: It's going well. Yeah, we have lots going on as usual, I guess, but trying to wind things down for the holidays, which I hope everyone is, is looking forward to and building towards themselves.
1: Yeah, I can't believe we're already in December. So when this episode comes out, it's December 1st. And if you caught our episode, our quick episode on the weekend, you know it's the beginning of the One Grateful Mile Run Streak Run Challenge uh, done by Run Grateful. Uh, So every day for the month, if you can get out and run or walk one mile while thinking about something that you're grateful for. Peter, today I'm, I'm grateful for you.
0: Well, it's not December 1st, so hold on to that, I guess.
1: Okay, we're recording this pre, but I was just trying to be nice. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, today's, uh, today's guest is also sort of all about running uh, and community, actually. So I thought it was a really good sort of tie-in to this whole idea of running grateful. Um, we have Josh Goldman, who is a sports medicine physician who also holds an MBA. Right. Uh, so it's good range. Yeah. Actually, I, I that's kind of why I thought he'd be perfect for the podcast when I first started chatting with him. Uh, he actually formed this cool group in LA, the Electric Flight Crew, which is a run group. And uh, what I really liked about this conversation is the idea of, you know, we all kind of look at these big run groups and cool clubs doing awesome stuff that have, you know, really cool logos and nice websites and all this. And you kind of start thinking like, oh, that's, that's not going to be me. Like, I can't do that. But talking to Josh, like he started with just like three of his bros and they were just kind of trying to find something slightly healthier than hitting the bars after work. So they were like, okay, we're going to go for this run and we're going to call it this. And, you know, for the first few months of it, it was just them running. Hmm. They were inviting people and no one was showing up. Uh, and then, you know, slowly people started trickling in and now it's, it's this big thing. So we talk about that. We talk about some, you know, actual like running medical questions, because when you have a sports medicine guy who works with some of the biggest teams in L.A. on, of course, you're going to ask him. Right. Sort of all yes. about running injuries and uh, fun stuff like inflammation. We, we really go all over in this episode. I'm, I'm really stoked on it. To me, he, he really is kind of the ultimate consummate athlete. I love the uh, Electric Flight Crew does run workouts. So they do kind of like boot campy stuff sort of alongside of their regular runs right uh, yeah so I'm I'm really stoked he I feel like he really has a lot of the same tenants that we talk about in our our new book becoming a consummate athlete he. Really lives by a lot of this stuff, and I mean, for a dude doing this much work, he has a really good balance of mm-hmm. of his. Yeah, his no, work. it sounds
0: like a good mix of sort of if there's a little bit of, uh, as you say, sort of boot camp, like other movement stuff, plus running, and then some community. Yeah,
1: that's, yeah that's like work, sense. training, community, life. It's yeah, it's all good. So yeah, really, really fun episode. Uh, and before we get into it, just a reminder to head over to consummateathlete.com. We have a ton of our holiday gift guides up. So whether you need ideas for the athlete. And in your life or frankly you need some ideas to pass along to people in your life as to what to get you for <laughs> for the holidays right. uh, we have a bunch of different ones up there that have been really fun to put together um, and of course we have our new book becoming a consummate athlete that's that's out and is an excellent stocking stuffer if i do say so myself so without further ado let's get into this episode with josh goldman <laughs> First of all, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah, I'm
2: very excited to be here as well. Uh, big fan, obviously. Um, you, you're one of the go to. Folks that I listen to in the run space. So appreciate you having us.
1: Oh, that's so awesome. Um, and I have to say, you know, I've been kind of eyeing up electric flight crew for quite a while now and just being so jealous that I don't live in LA and can't take advantage of it. And normally we'd go to California in the winter for training, but obviously this year uh, that does not seem uh, as likely as normal. Um,
2: yeah. So agreed we we're all, we're all stuck in our bubbles unfortunately this year
1: exactly although your bubble seems to be massive with the amount of things that you do in a day uh, which I, I want to get into but I, I kind of want to back up before I even get into how you're balancing everything with just how did you end up where you are where actually how do you describe yourself when someone says what do you do these days
2: uh, I'm a sports medicine physician so um In sports, we wear lots of different hats, but my my day job, my 8 to 5, which in sports medicine is never 8 to 5, is working at UCLA in the division of sports medicine, taking care of weekend warriors, UCLA athletes, Lakers, Dodgers, and everybody in between.
1: Oh, wow. And you also have an MBA, though. So how does an MD end up with an MBA? Did you just like, you know, initials that started with an M at the end of your name? Or how did that happen?
2: (laughs) I I joked that I needed a vowel so I could spell something cool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but in all seriousness, I'm the son of a hospital administrator. And he thinks that doctors are crazy. And it's really hard to practice good medicine if you don't understand the business behind it, which I thought was hogwash until I went to business school. So now I agree with him years later.
1: Oh, interesting. Uh, And so I I feel like I don't even know how you would manage to cram in some sports, but you can't be a sports med guy without loving some. So and I mean, obviously, you you have the electric flight crew. So. How did you get into athletics? What are you up to right now? What does training look like for you?
2: So I've been a lifelong athlete. I think like many of us who end up in the endurance space as we get older, um, I grew up playing all the sports in the Midwest originally. Uh, I'm originally a Detroit kid, so played soccer and baseball and basketball. Um, and then in high school, really honed in on soccer at a towering five foot ten. That seemed to be the most natural fit for me. Um, so played club soccer year-round uh, in Southern California, and once I got into high school, I really fell in love with running and the off-season. You know, and and soccer you run as a punishment, and then in track you're just really good at it. And so I, I fell in love with running as my off-season conditioning for soccer. Um, and then, you know, you finish high school, you go to college, and uh, I was not elite enough to play collegiate soccer at UCLA in college, and so spent a lot of time running in the uh, the hills adjacent to UCLA's campus, um, and have just stuck with it ever since. So these days, I am an exceptionally mediocre soccer player. Uh, <laughs> I'm an average beach volleyball player, although, again, my spike at a towering 5'10 is not exceptional, Fair. Um, but probably best at running these days, which... Um You know, I think most of us age into it, and i 'm sure you know the stats that we get better at running as we get older until a certain point, so
1: yes, thank goodness <laughs> it 's the only <laughs> thing that keeps me going
2: <laughs> yeah, so i 'm mostly a runner these days, which I think is help keep helping keep all of us sane in this covid pandemic
1: i know i know i it's it's been super cool seeing so many people coming into running um my younger sister just got into it and just did her first ever 5k uh yesterday and was just like so thrilled by it and it's just been really fun to see everyone kind of getting out and figuring it out although I know that comes with I'm sure you've probably seen an uptick in injuries from first-time runners or people that are coming back to running who are suddenly out on the roads again
2: absolutely yeah we um I joke within the electric play crew that we're now an unopposed sport. We're not <laughs> competing with all of the fitness studios and big box gyms and other fun things that you can do. It's just a lot of people running outside um, and rediscovering what I think is an awesome sport. So, in that way, the pandemic's been great for running.
1: Yeah, definitely. Although as a sports med doctor, is there any advice that you would maybe offer people who are getting back into running for the first time in a while to avoid them limping in to see you?
2: Yes. And I am a living proof of this now. So, you know, many of us we we fall in love with running and we do it for a while and then we move into other things and we come back to it anytime you're getting back into a sport, but endurance sports, especially you you have to be honest with yourself about where you are in your conditioning and, and cross-training and everything because just because in high school, for example, we, we're doing this all-out mile competition this week, but uh, just because I ran a five-minute mile in high school does not mean that at 38 years old I can still run a five-minute mile. And so for, for people who used to run and are now getting back into it, you know just be honest about where you are be gradual about building back up to it, but if you, you know you used to run marathons and took five years off, your first day out's probably not the best time to try and tackle a marathon.
1: Yes. It's so funny. We've been talking a lot lately about in terms of goal setting, this idea of figuring out what your point A is and you really just kind of hit it right there is like most people don't even think about where they are now. They're really just thinking about where they want to go or where they think they should be instead of actually doing that kind of realistic assessment of, oh, right, I haven't run a hard mile in, uh, you know, 10 years. And to be honest, I didn't really run a hard one in high school if I'm (laughs) being, you know, really realistic about it. (laughs) Um, so the electric flight crew, we've mentioned it a few times, electric flight crew, uh, it's described on the website as social meets fitness. And I love that concept. So can you explain to me what exactly it is, how you ended up founding it, what it looked like then, what it looks like now?
2: Yeah, exactly. So I started this with two of my best friends from college, um, right after I had finished all my medical training. And we realized we were in this rut, so we were you know, mid-20s at that point in time where we were hanging out with the same people we hung out with in college, and our social time had morphed into hanging out at a bar, watching sports, or just catching up. Um, and we weren't doing something healthy and awesome together, we were you know, drinking alcohol and sitting around, but that was just how we had learned to interact. And we also were feeling stunted in terms of that social growth. Um, you, you know, once you finish your education, you meet people through work and then really friends of friends, but it's not that robust uh, networking experience that college and graduate school is for most of us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We felt like there was this void that needed to be filled. We wanted a meaningful way to get together and we wanted a way to create meaningful relationships outside of the office. Um, and we knew that fitness was the way to do it. Um, of the three of us, one was a wrestler, one was a lacrosse player, and I was a runner. Um, and so I convinced them that running was better than wrestling and lacrosse. Is our that's goal that's thing. fair, yeah. <laughs> um, and we loved running because it's it's something that everybody can do. You know, you don't have to be good at it, but you can still do it. You don't need a bunch of equipment. You don't need special space or field. You know, fields are of a premium here in Los Angeles. You could just go out on the road and run, and there was just something natural and easy and accessible about it, but also probably a little bit intimidating for the new person to running. And so we thought that the social piece would attract that new runner, and the running piece would attract the people that are already running but just don't want to do it by themselves. Uh, and so the goal really in this group was creating meaningful community and we just used running as our, our hijack to do that. Um, and it's been incredible, you know, my, my social network continues to grow week over week as more and more people join. Um, we're now all over the country, which is amazing. And that, that was my dream is that, you know, I could be traveling to a conference in Houston or Boston and The second I plopped down into that city, I had this community of runners that were doing the same thing that I was doing in Los Angeles, wherever that city was. Uh, And you can just seamlessly join that community and have this this social network and friend group when you get there. Um, And now, I think six years in, it's starting to take that shape. We're, We're in a bunch of cities all over the country, and it's been really cool to see that larger network start to connect as people travel for work and fun.
1: Oh, that's so cool! I I love that. I didn't realize just how how broad it had gotten at this point. That's that's really neat. Uh, and I have to ask though. I mean, we talked about you're saying new runners and veteran runners can both do it. How do you balance the two? I mean, when new runners show up and then you know a veteran runner shows up and the veteran runner wants a workout and the new runners just like terrified about the idea of getting two miles in. Uh, how, what does that look like?
2: Yeah, so we we are definitely not the substitute for the legitimate run crews out there. Um, Every city, and this was long before EFC existed, cities are packed with these incredible coaching-specific running communities. Here in Los Angeles, we have the LA Leggers, the LA Roadrunners. These are just institutions that have been around forever that will help you prepare for that marathon and, and take you through that training journey. That's that's not our goal. Our goal is the supplement for those folks who also want to have some fun at a workout and drink a beer after with a bunch of friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So we we designed our workouts. This is me slipping my medicine into the fun in a way where we do for you know, we, we meet once a week. Two of those are traditional road runs, and we'll find ways to mix them up, and we send people in pace groups and, you know, the traditional run club-type things. But the other two workouts are really the medicine that I try to build into there, which is uh, one is a circuit-type workout. As runners, we're linear athletes. We move forwards and backwards, and we haven't moved side to side since we played high school sports. And so we really need that lateral training for for injury prevention and to make us better runners. And so we build in all of that stuff that nobody's going to do on their own. True, you know we have physical therapists that we work with that help us design all this stuff. Really is like an injury prevention program, but we make it fun. You do it as a group. Oh, I love uh, it. And then we do speed workouts, which are hill work and track work and things like that that really help us find our fast again, which you know, the elite runners are good about getting on the track and doing their speed work, but the middle of the pack is just like the thought of getting on a track by yourself and running an all-out 400 just makes you want to barf. So.
1: Yep, yep, just thinking. And I consider myself a serious runner, and even the thought of it, I'm just like, ugh.
2: Yeah, so Misery Loves Company, the the first time that we – we're trying to dial in a track workout. Me and the two guys that started it with, one of them definitely puked on the track, so oh. we had to dial that one back a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's you know, the, it's the stuff that you'd never do on your own, but is going to make you a better runner. And we try and build that into EFC, mm-hmm. uh, and we do it in a way that really drives community. It's collaborative. There are heats, and you know, the circuit training is a lot of buddied workouts type stuff. So, in that way, we we make the medicine a little bit more palatable.
1: Oh, I love that. And I, that had been one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because another thing kind of in your manifesto is that the goal is to train people to be all around athletes, not just runners, uh, which obviously at the consummate athlete, we are very keen on. So I love the idea of sneaking in that uh, there's extra planes of movement and stuff. Um, so what is it looking like these days with the pandemic? Because I imagine that put a bit of a halt to the fun social side of things.
2: Yeah, it really does. So the, the <laughs> pandemic is great for sports, but not great for community. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so we're, we're seeing more people turn to running, which has been great, and more people turn turning to running for community even, right? I mean, our, our normal communities have been so fragmented. Um, and so we've just had to retool everything that we do. Um, we require masks at all of our workouts. We space everybody out. Um, every city that we operate in has different rules about number of people that can physically gather. And so if the group is larger than that, then we just fragment into multiple small groups. And we have, you know, a different leader of the group break off with each subset and lead the workouts. Um, our circuit training no longer involves buddy workouts. You absolutely can't buddy in a pandemic. Uh, and then the social stuff, we've just moved outdoors, you know, where we know a lot about this virus and outdoor transmission is much less common, but people are just masked in a park now instead of in a bar after the workout and spaced in lawn chairs at least six feet apart. So we've been able to adapt and, you know, we're fortunate in the run space that our sport takes place outside and is inherently socially distanced if you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, running has been able to continue, but, you know, I look at sports like hockey and basketball and and so many of those are so hard to translate into the outdoor space.
1: Yeah, for sure. Even cycling is sort of tricky, or at least it was earlier with, you know, drafting and that kind of stuff. So running, yeah, was pretty much the only game in town that from even the get go is relatively safe feeling, I think.
2: Yep. Agreed.
1: Uh, I have to ask, mask-wise, um, have you found any that work well for running?
2: Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man, I could get into the, the weird science of masks forever. I mean, we, We're doing more and more research, really trying to understand which masks are best and what do what. Um, you know, my recommendation for runners is honestly the buffs. They are not the best at reducing particles. You know, your, your N95 is the gold standard. And then the three ply surgical masks are going to be your next best. But, uh, let me tell you, if you've tried running in a three ply surgical mask, which I have many times or an N95, just to see how it went, oh, basically an oxygen deprivation mask, which is great for altitude, but not yeah. good sea level. Um, and so uh, what we do is we typically have folks in buffs.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The The fact that you are outside is dispersing enough to where the addition of the buff is probably sufficient, uh, is sort of the simple takeaway. Yeah. We're learning more about number of viral particles needed for transmission, and it's probably around 1,000 viral particles, which is just really hard to, to inhale in an outdoor setting unless you're face-to-face for a prolonged period of time unmasked mm-hmm. is what we're seeing outdoor transmission so for a runner to me a buff is not is sufficient in that it's definitely going to reduce your your particle transmission <clears throat> but it also isn't so restricting that you can <clears throat> you can't run you can't do your sport um, the World Health Organization very specifically recommends against masking for vigorous exercise which is what running is so there's this catch-22 of we want to be masked and protect each other, but it's probably not great for us cardiovascularly, so.
1: Yeah. I, I have to ask, like, as a, you know, run leader, but then also an MD, do you feel like your life is easier because you kind of are getting all of this information and you can actually parse it and understand it really well? Or are you getting, like, information overload and it's actually really difficult to figure out what to do as, as both and balancing both?
2: Honestly, I think the hardest part is being okay with the fact that everything I tell you today is going to change by the time you publish this podcast.
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) You You just have to accept that, you know. And we give talks within athletics. I give talks like this to all of our sports teams and to families and coaches really regularly. And like a month in, I'm I'm giving the next week's talk, and they're like, "Doc, but you said something totally different last week." And I say, "Yeah, this is what happens when you fly a plane while you're building it. You mm-hmm. just, everything we know about the virus changes as we learn more about the virus." So mm-hmm. uh, when when it first happened, the CDC said nobody should be masked. Yeah. <laughs> And now when you look around, I mean, I'll never forget my wife and I were talking about going back, you know, going back to work as soon as this all started to happen and being in clinic with patients. And she says, I'm going to wear a mask. I think the CDC is wrong. And I said, honey, you got to trust the experts. You, you know, they're telling us <laughs> don't need to reserve these for ICU doctors and whatever. And then like a week later, the CDC's like, just kidding. Everybody mask.
1: Yeah, right now, immediately. <laughs> I told you. Darn, doesn't it suck to be wrong? <laughs>
2: yeah, so You, you just have, you have to swallow your pride in that way and just know that we're, we're going to keep learning and we, you just have to stay adaptable and innovative and, and know that you're going to have to change what you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to that end, uh, I realize you kind of got off topic on this, but do you have any sources that you're really looking to? Like, is it the WHO that you're looking at or, or where people can actually find what they should be doing?
2: So this is the real challenge. I know! (laughs) The WHO and the CDC are, are distilling all the information that they can and then they're trying to make population level decisions, right? At the WHO, these are worldwide recommendations and at the CDC, it's national recommendations. And when you get that generalized, when you have to make a blanket statement for the entire population, you lose a lot of the important details, right? so when i'm looking for recommendations specific to runners or for example at ucla specific to my collegiate age men's football team that's probably going to be a little different than the the blanket cdc recommendation right Mm -hmm. and so you know as an md i'm fortunate enough to be able to get into the weeds of the the journal articles because that's where your answer is it lies in the science there's You know, there's that New York Times headline takeaway from the journal article. But if you actually read it, there's a lot of intricacies in there and study design flaws and, you know, generalizability based on the population they studied. So, you know, for example, I I advise a a group called Students from Los Angeles. It's the largest youth marathon training program in the country. These are 12 to 18 year old runners. That's a very different group than the 40 to 50 year old patients hospitalized in New York City that they showed a, you know, 50% prevalence of myocarditis post COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So like everyone who gets COVID is going to have myocarditis and needs to have a cardiac MRI before they return to sport. So I think really honing in on the population you're trying to answer the question for is really important. I mean, Mm -hmm. even amongst our coaches, you know, when I talk to a coach about his risk of COVID and he's a... 60-year-old with diabetes and hypertension versus the 18-year-old football player, those are different conversations. So my recommendation would be for people to really try and get as specific to their question and their population as you look through the data.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So the cdc and the who even though that's easier is probably not the best for someone like you as a very competitive athlete in a very specific region of the world trying to make a decision about how you should train and what you should do
1: yeah yeah absolutely ah common sense when did we when did we forget about that (laughs) um okay coming back to efc i mean you've grown this really amazing community and it's, it's super cool. And if anyone's in the cities where you operate, they should obviously check you out, but there's plenty of people like myself who sadly are not near one of these cities um, and desperately want running communities. Any tips on how to get started building one? I mean, how did you, when you first started it, even spread the word and kind of get people to come to the first few?
2: Oh man! I just ran with those two guys over and over again until we convinced our friends to come. We'd had, at the beginning just be three of us half the time. Uh, we were like, "Well, should we even call it Electric Bikers? Should we just call it Josh, John, and Dan running around Santa Monica?"
1: That would have been a really hard rebrand, I think, or yeah. hard to convince people to wear those T-shirts.
2: The URL is just really hard to type yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. For us, it was really about having a clear identity of the group. Um, running is great because it's it's the great equalizer of sports. A 12-year-old can run a marathon, and a 90-year-old can run a marathon. You know, So it's such a diverse population, and we all run for different reasons, and we all look for run communities for different reasons. And I think the reason we've been successful is we really have – a fairly well articulated community that we're trying to find, which is, you know, people in that post college pre you know, married with kids and full family life who are looking to continue to build their community and who are looking to have, find some fun in running, right? Not to mm-hmm. help you shave an hour off of your marathon time, but just to, to have this fun social community and, For us, we're trying to make running fun and accessible. We're we're the gateway drug of running. And then when you get really good, you end up joining all these other cool clubs like Brooklyn Track Club and LA Rebels and these more elite run clubs when you decide that's the way you want to go. Um, And so for us, it was having that clear identity of this fun, accessible part of running for these people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who are, are looking for that social community or on something positive and healthy
1: yeah now a couple things here first uh are, what are you going to do as you start to age out? Do you think you'll have to like shift the identity or you'll have to like start a new club after you're like past the age of? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm so,
2: I'm very aware that I'm almost aging out of my, yeah, my community here. Um, but I'm young at heart. They call me the godfather cause I'm just, I think they, it's weird calling me the grandpa of UFC. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it, it serves you in in an amazing way in that period of life. Like so many communities we're a part of, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in college we're a part of fraternity and the fraternity is awesome in college, but there's no way I'm sleeping in a fraternity house at this point in my life, you know? Um, and so you just phase into that next fun community. I think for me trying to lead the group. So, you know, I started as one of the directors of the sites and now we have, directors at each of our sites who are much more in tune with that population. And I'm sort of helping manage things at a much higher level. So um, it's finding people who still understand that community and phasing those day-to-day decisions over to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but I don't know if you know any 40 to 60 year old run clubs I'm in.
1: <laughs> you might have to start one. Ah, oh, man, I don't know.
0: Um,
1: I I also really like, I think what you kind of said in the beginning where you joked about the idea of starting it with just like, you know, you and your two friends name, but instead you decided to go with this, no, we're going to be the electric flight crew, even if it's the three of us. I think that is how you start a community is sort of that like, open branding instead of making it like just this run that I'm going to do with my three friends and hope that it kind of gets bigger and that more people maybe join somehow, but like putting it out there, I think that's, that's how you do eventually start pulling people in.
2: Yeah. And uh, you know, for anyone looking to start a community, I would say, don't be afraid to fail. This is something I learned in business school because in medicine failure is catastrophic, right? Yeah, people it's don't. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> we we are terrified of failure in medicine and, and rightfully so. But in business, people love failure. It just means you figured out how to do something better, right? Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of workouts, and they were miserable, and nobody liked them. And they said if we did that again, they'd never come back. Um, and we had nights that it was just us that showed up, and that's okay. So I think if you're starting a community, obviously it's it's fear of failure and the fear of rejection, right? Like nobody's going to want to join your community. Um, but if nobody's joining, it just means you, you're not serving what they want. People speak with their feet. and that, That's one of our mottos is, you know, if, if people aren't coming, it's because we're not making it fun. And so we're right. just innovating and changing what we do and changing the, keeping things fresh for people. So I would say just do it. Everyone's, you know, ready, aim, fire. I say ready, fire, aim. Just get out there, start running, start meeting with your community. And if it's not working, then start, start adjusting things and see what does work
1: hmm. I love it. Yeah. And I mean, I think even just the fact that, you know, you start small, it organically grows. That's clearly the best way to do it instead of starting with like dropping, you know, 10 grand on a website and like 500 T-shirts and all of that kind of stuff. It feels like you kind of really organically let it grow into what it is now.
0: Yep.
2: Yeah. And I'll also say the first <clears throat> something we've learned about community building, your first five to 10 community members are... So critical. Those are the people who are gonna shape that community for years to come. Uh, Because once you've established that identity and that culture, it's really hard to shift. And so we spend a lot of time as we move into new cities really making sure that the, the group starting there understands this identity of us being about fun and community above all else. And running is inherently competitive, but here we're supportive. You know, we really have to instill that in them so that it doesn't become this elite, super fast group of runners that are really intense all the time, which New York tried to become for us. We had to be like, I was no, no, no. I know New Yorkers are intense, but we're really fun, chill Californians. So you got to keep that
1: vibe. (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. Um, Oh, so good. Okay. So I want to shift gears a little to the more medical side of things, since you are a doctor and we can pick your brain here. So uh, as a sports med doc, uh, what are some of the most common issues and injuries that you're seeing in runners these days?
2: So I think it comes in two categories. There's There's the category of bad biomechanics, right? And this is the people that are new to running who just haven't found that right stride for them yet or have been in running for a while but are not doing their homework. They're not doing their lateral training, their core strengthening, their hip abductors. I mean there's this subset of EFCers who like joke about the last time they actually touched a weight or did like a core exercise, and that's terrifying to me as a sports medicine doctor. So there's that subset of people needs to be doing that core strengthening or really working on their, their biomechanics um, to prevent injury. The other subset that I see are the elites, and these are people who have rock-solid biomechanics and have, are doing their cross-training, and, and they know they've got their program dialed in, but they're just doing too much. And that's when we start to see things like bone stress injuries and pretty significant tendon overuse injuries. It's just a volume that they're not tolerating. And in that group, I end up spending a lot of time teaching about load and recovery and that delicate balance, right? And that group tends to be really good at crushing workouts, but maybe not spending enough time on the recovery piece of things. And so that that secondary group is more of a load recovery conversation versus a biomechanics and, and strength and cross-training discussion.
1: Yeah. And when you talk about the, the overloading, I feel like most people hear that and just kind of dismiss it because they're like, well, I'm not an ultra runner or I'm not an elite runner, so I'm not putting in like 100 miles a week or something like that. But I feel like it's just as likely to happen to newer runners as it is to happen to elites. It, possibly more so because they don't really know a, a good, like, training program. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. In, in endurance sports, the total volume is important. And, you know, once people are getting above 90 miles a week, the wheels can start to come off the bus if everything's not perfectly dialed in. Um, but the delta week over week is the most important. And so if people are ramping up too fast, you know, 10% per week is like the magic number we hear tossed around, although there's some newer research out of Australia that says maybe that number is 20% per week. Whoa. But going up too much too fast is 100% a recipe for injury. Mm -hmm. Your body can tolerate high chronic loads and it can tolerate moderate chronic loads, but it does not do well going from moderate to high very rapidly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of recovery, what are some of your kind of preferred recovery modalities? If someone was doing everything right, what what do you like?
2: Uh, so th- this is a great question. My follow-up for you, though, is are we in season or are we out of
1: season? Oh, okay. Well, let's do out of season first since we are kind of in that off season right now. But then I want to hear in season too.
2: So out of season... Your goal is long-term recovery, right? And so, in uh, in the case of out of season, we want to tolerate more inflammation. And I know you you recently did a great piece on inflammation. Um, inflammation gets a really bad rap
1: mm-hmm.
2: because it, you know in the '80s and '90s we just we wanted anti-inflammatory everything. We got tons of drugs and injections and all these other things to reduce inflammation. But we forget that inflammation is performance enhancing. This is your body moving into a tissue and trying to repair it and rebuild it and make it stronger. And so if we go heavy anti-inflammatory in an out-of-season athlete, we're probably going to inhibit some of those gains, right? And so in an out-of-season person, we tolerate a little bit more inflammation uh, in the setting that we we know they're not going to have to load it in a performance type way at that point in time. Um, so the out of season stuff is really focusing on good nutrition. Good sleep, and uh, oh man, I could spend so much time talking about sleep and ways to optimize that and how important that is.
1: Okay, I love it. Give me like your top like two or three sleep tips because we've actually been trying to get an episode done on sleep at some point in the near future because it's one of like the near and dear to my heart things. So if someone yeah. is like terrible sleeper, what are your first like big rocks they can work on?
2: Okay, so uh, we're doing a great study right now at UCLA with Whoop, um, trying to understand what is the most important thing we need to be changing in sleep uh first thing you need to do is you need to have a a space conducive to sleep um and depending on where you are in the country i mean i think of my poor new yorkers who are in these studios that is their kitchen their bedroom their living room their office all in one
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that's a real tough place to sleep you know with the refrigerator making noises and lights coming from the street and and all these things so an ideal sleep environment needs to be dark a little bit cool and quiet, Um, to do your best, depending on your space to make it that. The other thing that we're really bad at in modern society is our brain needs a cool down, just like our body needs a cool down after we run, and so to be on a computer with blue light blaring at your eyes or watching TV or on a computer while watching TV and then texting on the side, Uh lay in bed and expect to fall asleep, like good luck. It's not, your brain's not gonna work that way. And so I I tell uh, my athletes to protect one hour before their target bedtime and make it real boring. So if you're a college athlete, whatever your least exciting subject is, that's what you're studying that hour before bed.
1: Oh, nice. Um,
2: but we need to get analog in that hour before bed. We need we need the screens off, or if you have to be on a screen, you got to have your blue light blocking glasses, or you can switch them up to different modes on the phones these days. But you can't have these bright, exciting stimuli into the brain that hour before bed. So, give yourself an hour before bed to wind it down. Uh, Baths are really helpful. Stretching is really helpful before bed. Just whatever that routine is for you to keep it boring and start to transition that sleep mode, you're going to be much more successful once you hit the pillow.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah, I feel like that's been kind of the big thing I've been working on right now. And I actually just switched up my iPad for my Kindle uh, at night. And it's yep. it's made a big difference, I think. Also yep. reading much more boring stuff. But you know, beside <laughs> <said> the point. <laughs>
2: The caveat I want to give you is, um, we we think quantity is most important, right? We've thought that for years. You know, uh, Tom Brady sleeps 12 hours a night. Same thing for LeBron James. Uh, quantity is really only a small piece of the puzzle, is what we're learning. Um, so there's been lots of good data showing that sleep extension improves performance. They did a study at Stanford where they made athletes stay in bed for 12 hours straight, and they got better at stuff. That's great. What we think is even more important is sleep consistency. And so this is in bed, same time every night, awake, same time every day. Getting that consistent circadian rhythm, which I think many of us are good at during the week. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. to weekend swing can be pretty violent you know um and so if you can get in bed and then awake at the same time every day that consistency is probably even more important than your total sleep time which i think is really interesting and probably a little counterintuitive
1: And such a bummer for people who really look forward to the weekend, like sleep in. But yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) you're right. You're you're probably staying out a little too late on Friday and Saturday night. So uh, you got to lock it up if that's important to you. Again, this is all balance, like quality of life and and whatnot.
1: Definitely. Um, Okay, so we got sleep. Now, what level of chronic inflammation or like a little bit of inflammation is good versus like when do we tip over into when inflammation becomes a thing that we should be paying attention to? And also like just even that blanket term of inflammation, Um, I feel like it's very like buzzy right now, hence my article on it. Um, But I feel like it's very misunderstood. So, yeah, Yeah. inflammation, other than the fact that like we know it's obviously going to be good for adaptation, but yeah what is Why is it in the zeitgeist all of a sudden?
2: When is too much, right? Yeah. Um, so my, the simple thing I teach athletes is you need to learn the difference between soreness and pain, right? When you are a little bit sore after training, that's a good thing. That's a sign that your body is creating healing inflammation in a muscle after you work. When it transitions over to pain, meaning your gait is off, you something is notably tender to the touch you have tipped the scales too much into the inflammatory phase right and that's when inflammation can actually be degenerative for tissues so learning that fine balance between soreness and pain i think is the hardest thing especially for really competitive athletes because they'll just tell you that it's always sore oh no it's just soreness doc i'm fine i'm like well you're limping and it (laughs) Your gait assessment, like, you're only putting 75% of your ground reaction forces on that leg, and they're like, "Ah, okay, maybe it's a little more sore than I let on to. Um, My other big thing is stacking discomfort. So I run today, I'm a 2 out of 10 sore after I run, get a good night's sleep, run tomorrow, I'm a 2 out of 10 sore, okay? That's low level and staying about the same. If I run today, it's 2 out of 10. I run tomorrow, it's 3 out of 10. I run on Friday, it's 5 out of 10. Now I'm stacking that soreness on top of itself. And so this is clearly a sign that I have tipped the balance of benefit of training and recovery in favor of too much training. Mm -hmm. When you see pain starting to become additive, you've gone too far in that direction.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. That, well, that's not awesome, but that explanation is awesome. Uh, we we kind of we often talk about the effect that athletes don't really record that kind of thing on a daily basis, and it, it not recording it makes it really hard to then look back and have that gauge, right? Like if you didn't think about how sore you were on a scale of one to ten on Tuesday, then you don't really know that by Wednesday you're going up one, and Thursday you're going up one, etc. And so the other the other inflammation thing that I've kind of noticed is there seems to be a lot of talk about this, like different systems of inflammation and if they're, you know, related to each other. So if an athlete is having a lot of, say, like gut issues all of a sudden, would you relate that at all to, you know, your sort of normal athlete inflammation or is that just sort of this totally different thing over here? I would say
2: totally different thing. So... You bring up another really good point, and I think the reason that inflammation is a hot topic in our society right now is that our society has become pro-inflammatory in the the way that it exists. Ooh, body, right? So if you think of the food in 1900 versus the food today, it was a lot more organic. People were growing stuff in their backyard. There were not a lot of chemicals in it, and it was not processed, right? So, those kind of foods are inherently much less inflammatory than today's modern processed sugars and, and whatnot. The air we breathe is more inflammatory. In Los Angeles, we all look like we have smokers' lungs by the time we die because we've just breathed our pollution forever.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, we put our bodies in horrible pro inflammatory positions just by sitting in these strange positions for hours on end, which you know, evolutionarily, we were never designed to just sit with our arms elevated in front of us for eight hours a day. Um, and so our society inherently is creating unhelpful inflammation because of all of those things. Um, so that's a very different type of inflammation than the purposeful inflammation that we're inducing in training
1: you wouldn't necessarily have to stop training to deal with those inflammatory issues. That would be more just like a totally different thing. Yeah, because it,
2: it's coming from somewhere else, you know. The, the inflammation in your gut, I'm not going to say isn't, but it probably isn't unless you're at super high, you know, l- load levels, probably isn't coming from that like 5 or 10K you ran yesterday.
1: Right. So let's maybe like keep our running and maybe just start like, you know, not sitting for eight hours at one one time. Maybe getting up and walking around a bit more.
2: Yes, exactly. Trying <laughs> to create. Me, I mean, I just I constantly trying to remind patients of what our bodies were designed to do. If you think about what we were built to do and what we do today, there's this wild discrepancy right? I mean, we are meant to constantly be moving around the world. Just the fact that we wear shoes, for example, is so unnatural. Have you ever seen when you put shoes on a puppy? Like, It's they- adorable,
1: number one. but
2: <laughs> Absolutely adorable, but hysterical because they're like, this is not natural.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and so our shoes were created because we paved all the earth and we can't just barefoot run around it. And then, of course, you put You know, uh, plates in the middle of it makes you go a little bit faster. But uh, shoes are bad for your foot and ankle strength, right? Uh, But we need them to run because we live in cities. Yeah. So we do so many unnatural things because of the way society is now that are just not the way our body was designed to live and function.
1: Yeah. So living in the city, is there anything you do? Do you do anything like grounding or like walking barefoot in the backyard or anything like that to kind of reverse some of this stuff?
2: Yeah. So we're fortunate that I'm a half mile from the beach. And so...
1: I'm so jealous. I'm I'm beyond jealous right now.
2: Yeah. But barefoot time uh, in the sand is great for runners. Lots of good foot and ankle strengthening. It's also, I mean, just being outdoors in general, which is why I think the world is turning to running right now is just like we're so cooped up in our home quarantines. Like being outside is feels so amazing. Um, so you get the benefit of some of that foot and ankle strengthening just running around on a soft surface. But it's also really nice to be grounded.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And okay, before we wrap up, I have to know, how are you balancing everything that you're doing? Because your days must just look... Bonkers. Are there any, like, routines or rituals or anything that you've kind of figured out to keep yourself from collapsing into a pit of overbooked <laughs> despair?
2: Oh, man, yeah. I mean, half the time I feel like one of those circus acts where I'm, like, spinning 17 plates and playing a drum with my foot. Yep. Um, but on the flip side, I and I teach this to my trainees. I'm in charge of our training program at UCLA for our sports medicine fellows. I teach them that you have to have uh, irrevocable time for yourself every day. For for me and for them as sports medicine, future sports medicine physicians, I encourage them to make that a physical activity. But I protect an hour a day for myself, no matter what, to get exercise in because that's going to keep me – that's my physical health, that's my mental health, you know, it's really nice to be out on an open road with no sounds and no distractions and just think.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I think that's why so many of us love running, is it, it, it's mentally helpful and physically helpful for us. Um, but you just can't let anybody take that away from you, no matter how busy you get, because people always want to steal your time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, same thing for you. You you wear 17 different hats. You're being pulled in every different direction. And, but if you let people steal your personal time to be with family and and work on your health and fitness, you just wouldn't be able to do it. All the wheels fall off the bus.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, when, when you're in the fields that we're in, it's sort of one of those, you, you almost have to have that hour of physical activity because if you don't, you know, you're kind of being hypocritical with everything that you're telling other people to do. So anytime I feel guilty that I'm like out on my run before lunch, I'm just like, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't be any good at my job. Like, I would just be like lying to everyone. Yep. So that There's
2: helps. First that cardiologist. Right. <laughs> Nobody's listening to that guy.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Uh, okay. So as we wrap up, where can everyone find you and the electric flight crew? Yeah. What's the best way to, to figure out if they have, if we have runs near us.
2: Uh, so Instagram's probably the best. We're at Electric Flight Crew. Uh, you can really see the, the crew come to life there. We are quite a cast of characters, lots of fun things going on. Um, also on the website, uh, electricflightcrew.com, there has a list of all of our different cities. There's an email platform as well as we now have a, an app uh, called Halo that is a back end that we're using to help really connect these communities. Again, our goal is bringing people together. And we, we finally figured out a way to make that happen digitally thanks to the pandemic. So uh, check us out on the Internet. Check us out on Instagram. you get a good flavor for the group from those two spots.
1: Oh, amazing awesome well thank you so much josh this was really fun chatting with you i feel like i could ask you a million questions and you'd have the answers given the width of your experience um, <laughs> but, but i think we'll we'll leave it right there for now but we might have to have you back on to talk more sports medicine stuff for sure oh,
2: absolutely. absolutely well thank you i i spend a lot of time reading and i love this stuff and it's just so fun to talk to somebody who actually thinks it's cool too so i appreciate that <laughs>
1: Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor, leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests and yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com at consummate on Instagram. Uh, and I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.